0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in French Studies, discussions with scholars of France and the Francophone world about their new books. I'm your host, Roxanne Penchassi. My guest today is Emile Chabal, the author of A Divided Republic, Nation, State, and Citizenship in Contemporary France. And the book was published by Cambridge University Press in 2015. Hi there, Emile. Hi. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today.
1: Oh, it's a real pleasure.
0: Could you get us started by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in working on French politics?
1: Well, there is a personal story and there is an intellectual story. The personal story is that, is that I am French, or at least partly French. My, my father was French. Um, I'm bilingual. I, I um, spent a lot of time in France when I was growing up, and I'm a French national as well, French citizen, which is, of course, important for, for, for the book, Um So I had a certain pre-existing connection to to France, um, but I didn't actually imagine that I would work on France. In fact, when I was an undergraduate, I thought France and indeed Europe was very parochial. I wanted to be a global historian. I wanted to work on the world beyond Europe. I wanted to, to think about much bigger themes. And so now when I look back, I find it quite ironic that I should be working not only on France, which is uh, which is one of Europe's most important uh, countries, not so much in a normative sense, but simply in a in a historical sense, but also that I should be working on the way the French see themselves. So I've gone from being a, a very uh, large scale historian to to being a historian of uh, of one particular country's uh, naval gazing. So that that's a personal story, and then the intellectual story. Um, has to do with my early postgraduate work, my master's work. And my master's thesis, I wrote about neo-republicanism, which, of course, is a major part of the book, and uh, what I call the crise d'intégration, the crisis of integration in France. And that project came out of a particular interest in the question of how post-colonial minorities were or were not being integrated into france and i was actually fascinated by this idea of france as an exception
0: mm-hmm. that somehow
1: the french political model was very unusual very different to other kinds of political models uh, of integration in europe so that's where my my initial impetus for for this work came from
0: In your introduction to the book, Emile, you set up the project as an examination of French politics since the 1970s. So why start in the 1970s?
1: The 1970s was a turning point in the way that I think Western politics saw itself. The 1970s obviously is known for a a significant change in the Western economy, uh, related to the the oil shocks and the end of post-war economic growth and i think it's interesting the french case because the 1970s is also the moment when gaulism one of the post-war france's great ideologies uh begins to come apart mm-hmm. of course the death of de gaulle is uh, de gaulle dies in 1970 and um he, his ideas carry forward, and they continue to permeate the French political scene today, but they no longer have the man as their vehicle. So, so the 1970s seemed to me to be a really interesting transition point, and I really wanted to start the book where everybody else stops historians shy away from the very recent past and most of the work that I was reading about French politics that was historical stopped around the time of the Algerian War, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's when the archives are uh, are available. And later than that, things become much less clear. But but I really wanted to, to open up new perspectives on the very recent past and take this period from the 1970s to the present day uh, and look at it as... Uh, a a discrete period, but also look at it in historical context and tie it together with much deeper uh, and longer trends in French history.
0: You offer the book, Emile, not as a comprehensive narrative of French political life since the 1970s, but as a study of how, and I'm quoting here, a wide range of actors have conceptualized politics and the political in France. So who are the different political actors that you are looking at in the book?
1: Well, this is a book about the French elite. I I don't pretend otherwise. I have worked on uh, now, since the publication of the book, I have worked on other political actors who are less uh, members or less obviously members of, of the French and the Parisian elite. But, but this book is really about an elite. And so what I wanted to do was break that elite down into three different groups. The first uh, group is... Uh, active politicians, in other words, uh, people doing politics, Uh, presidents, politicians and members of political parties, political activists and so on. The second group is intellectuals and academics, of course, the boundary between intellectuals and academics is very porous in France, Hmm. they they form a a really uh, crucial set of opinion formers in French society, and even if the power of the intellectual uh, is not quite as great as intellectuals like to imagine uh, it is. It nevertheless gives us a lot of clues into how French politics is changing. And then the third group is uh, journalists and civil society activists and people who are perhaps one rung down from the national political actors um, who I called politicians. These civil society activists and journalists are people who are involved in political debate, but very often they, they're crucial in understanding how certain ideas um, go from a very rarefied elite uh, and and travel from the corridors of power out into French society at large.
0: In the introduction to the book, Emile, when you're mapping out the sort of conceptual limits of, of the study, you... you... Describe the project as, you know, a, a look at the broad consensual middle ground in French politics. So what does this mean? And who does this middle ground include?
1: Right. Well, this is a very difficult question. I, I try and answer it by doing the work that I do in the book, rather than by defining it too clearly. But mm-hmm. one thing that is important to say at the outset, and, and readers will notice this immediately, is that I don't analyze in any great depth the far right in France, and in particular for this period, the Front National. And I don't analyse far left. I don't look at the communist party, um, the uh, Trotskyist parties, anti-globalisation and anti-capitalist movements. So I've taken a fairly classic definition of centre as the political parties, political entities, and political debates that occupy. Let's say roughly the middle 60 to 70 percent of uh, of the electorate, those mm-hmm. who go center left uh, and, and the center right. And in some cases, the centrist parties as well. So that's how I've I've tried to define this consensual space. And I really wanted to do that because while the extremes are interesting, there's actually a lot more work in this period on those extremes, the far left especially around and after 1968, it's been the subject of, of really in-depth monographs, some of which are very good, some of which are less good. And um, the far right has attracted a lot of interest, particularly from political scientists and French studies um, scholars who've wanted to understand how France has uh, become the, the European country with the longest lasting far right movement. But the result of that is that what's going on in the middle is often ignored or neglected. And and that's what I wanted to look at in the book.
0: Throughout the book, you're also seeking to move beyond traditional categories of political left and right. So how and why is that so important?
1: I think the reason that's important for me at any rate is that I don't believe the categories of left and right are adequate for an understanding of of how political debate in contemporary Europe works and particularly obviously contemporary France. It doesn't mean that left and right are ideas that should be completely discarded. I refer to the center left, the center right, I talk about right wing variants of such and such or left wing variants of such and such but the purpose of the book is really to to think about alternative categories that might be used to understand how political debate actually happens in France.
0: Emile, what are the different types of sources that you use in the book to get at the history of political consensus that you're interested in?
1: So the majority of sources that I use are published sources, different forms of publication, whether those are uh, history books, uh, essays, polemical articles, editorials, government reports, and, and, and so on. Those form the the bulk of the sources that I'm, I'm really looking at. And the reason I'm interested in those sources is perhaps a little counterintuitive. Most historians go after sources that are unusual or have never been looked at before or have never been looked at in a particular way. And I've done exactly the opposite. Many of the things I talk about, for instance, the Stasi report or... François Furet's famous essay in in Penser la Révolution Française. These things are very, very widely known. They've been read Mm -hmm. by hundreds of thousands of people. Um, They're often freely available online. Mm -hmm. Students have studied them. Uh, Academics have poured over them. But the reason I was interested in those public texts is because the book tries to analyze the circulation of ideas, not just the origin particular ideas, but how they move and how they change, how they're interpreted, how they're received. And the only way you can really do that is by looking at texts or sources that are uh, widely available. Otherwise, it, it, it defeats it defeats the object of, of, of what, what you're trying to do. So in addition to those sources, which are textual sources, I've also used radio debates, um, television debates, uh, sometimes blogs, online, online forums on occasion. I've tried to use as many different uh, ways of, uh, well, as many different sources, shall we say, um, in order to elucidate as far as possible the, the different ways political debate happens in France.
0: I wanted to ask you, before we get into talking about the arguments of the book, uh, about your note on translation. And, of course, you know, interviewing people who work in French studies and mostly works that are published in English, books that are published in English, I, there are often notes on translation. But I was struck by yours, and I wondered if you could say a little bit about the challenge of translating political terminology and the political languages that you're interested in uh, into English
1: Yeah, it's nice nice that you picked that up. Um, My little note on translation at the beginning is not simply uh, a caveat, which is what notes on translations usually usually are, which say, well, um, I take full responsibility for translation errors. (laughs) Of course, I do uh, take full responsibility. But I also wanted to highlight um, how difficult it is not just to translate the ideas, but translate the tone and the meaning um, and the sometimes the gravity of French uh, political language. French politics can often seem like a very serious place, full of very serious language, very elevated language. And that's especially true if you start to look at uh, the the world of political debate beyond active politicians and you look at, at academics and intellectuals and so on. Um, just to give one example, the the, the French word histoire, history, it had, can have two different meanings depending on whether it's with a small age or a capital age. So, with a small age, it just means history in the sense in which we'd understand it in English. But with a capital age, it, it's got much more. It's invested with much more meaning. Histoire is 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 the forward march of history. It's 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 got something almost hegelian built into it and that's very difficult to capture in english um and th- i wanted to highlight that early to to warn readers that some of the debates although they might appear quite amusing when in translation are actually really very serious in french
0: so i mean, the book is divided into two parts And the first is focused on writing the national narrative in contemporary France. I'm just wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on that turn of phrase and whether or not there's something peculiarly French about that preoccupation that you're interested in.
1: I don't think that a national narrative is a specifically French thing. Um, I think all nations have stories that they tell, their citizens, stories which are more or less convincing, depending on the context. But one thing that's very striking about France is the extent to which uh, the French have been explicit about identifying and telling that national story. And this goes all the way back to the Ancien Régime um, and, of course, through the French Revolution, which in a particular interpretation was all about what what the nation could be and what the nation was. Uh, through the struggles of the 19th century um, and the Third Republic and, of course, uh, Vichy and Gaullist France. All of these different stages have involved redefinitions of the French national narrative, the French national story, mm. um, and the, the kinds of stories that are then told that feed into this national narrative. So what I wanted to do in the book, this is the first section of the book, is look at how the story about the French nation has been told in the last thirty forty years and to do that i've picked the, the 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 idea of republicanism as as the guiding thread what can we understand about the French national narrative um, by looking at the history of republicanism in this period
0: so and you refer to this uh, republicanism as neo republicanism in this period and i and I'm just wondering you know what accounts for its return during the period that you're looking at
1: yeah it's very interesting um one of the the historical myths that i wanted to to debunk in the book is the idea that republicanism has uh, been a triumphant ideology for for the last 250 years at least since the french revolution um that's that's wrong uh, as many of, of of your listeners will know um Republicanism was a very fragile ideology uh, through the 19th century. Mm. And in fact, it was also a fragile ideology for much of the 20th century under threat from the far right, of course. uh, And even after the Second World War, under threat from from the Communist Party, who had an unusual uh, and very ambiguous relationship to, to French republicanism. So what makes the period I study interesting is precisely that from the 1970s with the disappearance of communism on the one hand and or at least a slow disappearance of communism and a slow disappearance of Gaulism on the other, suddenly there's space for republicanism, for a new kind of republicanism, for a neo-republicanism to dominate and where you see that most clearly is in these intellectual debates that, in a sense, precede uh, the the emergence, the public emergence of uh, republicanism in the late 1980s. And those two debates, one uh, set of debates belongs to the modern French historiography, in other words, mm-hmm. the writing history, and um, particularly around the lieu de mémoire project, Pierre Nora's a famous project which, which came to fruition in the 1980s and was eventually published as a series of very influential books. And on the other hand, uh, the move by certain intellectuals who, were, uh, who had grown up uh, and, and been formed by, by Marxism, the move on the part of those intellectuals towards republicanism. So you've got this tw- these twin origins of the Republican revival in, in the 1970s and 80s, um, a change in modern French history, and a this conversion, if you like, from Marxism to, to Republicanism.
0: You make the point in different ways in this section and throughout the book, Emile, that we shouldn't take your designation of this field of politics as neo-Republicanism as the as as, as an argument for some kind of homogenous political field and that there are different and competing meanings of the republic and republicanism. And you also uh, make a distinction between transformative and institutional narratives and republicanism. Could you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yes, yeah, very, very important. I, I don't want to essentialize the category of neo-republicanism, just as I don't want to essentialize the category of liberalism, which is what the second part of the book is about. I, I refer instead to languages of politics, um, languages that can be used, that have very strong meanings, but they can be manipulated, they can be changed, they can be deployed at different times. So it's it's, it's crucial to keep that in mind um, when thinking about what 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 the book's trying to do. Nevertheless, I think it's useful to try to develop some sort of coherent definition, if you like, of what, what I'm actually talking about. And in the case of republicanism, um, in the first chapter uh, in particular, I, I build up this idea of, on the one hand, a, an institutional republicanism. In other words, institutions of the republic are what form the bedrock of the republic, one thinks particularly of the, um, of the republican school. And on the other, uh, a transformative republicanism, in other words, republicanism as a a, a, as an idea that carries with it um, notions of progress uh, and rationality and improvement. And those two versions of republicanism, if you like, the institutional and the transformative correspond roughly to more traditional political boundaries. So the institutional Republican story is one that's often told by people on the right or the center right. Um, and the transformative story is much more attractive to those on, on the center left who, 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 who hold on to Republicanism as a, as, as a form of progressive ideology.
0: You go on in the book to talk about, well, throughout the book, you talk about a number of different figures. You mentioned Nora, you talk about Regis Debray. Um, I'm I'm wondering if you could just say a little bit more about who the leaders of uh this Republican Revival are uh in this period particularly those who are connected or formerly connected to to the French left.
1: There are many different leaders. I don't think there's a there's a single figure really. I think there there are clusters, different clusters that come together uh at, at at particular moments so so one cluster as as you mentioned is uh, a cluster of historians Pierre Nora is best known but uh, you also see figures like maurice agulon and claude nicolet who get very interested in in republicanism not simply as an object of historical study but also as something that has uh, validity for contemporary society so if you look at the the, the the writings about contemporary France of people like Nicole Agulon, you, you can see them trying to bring their historical knowledge to bear on 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 the present day. In terms of philosophers and intellectuals, the two figures who I talk about in the second chapter of the book are Régis Debray and Alain Finkielkraut, both products of uh, of the nineteen sixties ethical quote of course uh, an a nouveau philosophe uh, and maoist from the from from may sixty eight um, so with a particular pedigree and a particular lineage and he he his notion of republicanism is very very strongly institutional um it's for for him republicanism is is the French school is French culture is um, is is a very strong French value system. Régis de by contrast, has came to republicanism in the nineteen eighties when he was uh, co-opted by François Mitterrand to be involved in um, in the the Young Socialist administration, the first socialist administration of eighty one, um, and he saw uh, republicanism as a way of bringing together the revolutionary aspirations he had had as, uh, as a youngster when he went off to Latin America and the present day exigencies of government. In other words, republicanism could be at the same time a language of government and administration as well as being a, a, a language of, of revolution. And then beyond that, there are there are other figures um, who were not intellectuals or academics. One might talk about. A wonderful example is someone like Jean-Pierre um, who uh, had a long journey through the, the, the French Socialist Party from, from the Marxist think tank, um, the Marxist group in the party, Ceres, all the way uh, uh, through various administrations um, uh, playing different roles, different ministerial roles. So that there are also figures outside uh, academia, outside the intelligentsia, who've been vehicles for, for neo republicanism
0: After looking at the ideas of historians and philosophers and intellectuals, you examine the ways that these ideas played out in political space and the daily life of French politics. What were some of the major milestones in the establishment of this neo-Republican consensus uh, since the 1970s?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it was very important to me right from the beginning in the book to um, to show not simply where ideas had come from, but what was being done with them. And mm-hmm. for that, I needed to to do much more old-fashioned political history, as you say, um, tell the stories of, of policies, of debates, of arguments, and so on. And in the, the, the third and fourth chapters of the book, I argue very strongly for 1989 as being a key point of convergence. Um, for this neo-Republican consensus 1989 why well 1989 was the year of the bicentenary of the French Revolution the year of the collapse of the Berlin Wall and the year of the headscarf affair and so what that did was it brought together the different strands we've just been talking about the fall of the Berlin Wall of course raised the prospect of uh, the end of communism and, and the, the the collapse not just of a wall, but of a whole system of thought that had dominated the European and the global left in the 20th century. The uh, the Byzantine of the French Revolution, of course, was an occasion for a reassessment of the French past. And um, as we'll talk about perhaps a bit later on, when we look at liberalism, the sense amongst many uh, historians was that the, the 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 flame had gone out. The passion was no longer there in in, in French politics. That somehow the, the bicentennial of the French Revolution marked the end of political debate in France, and so republicanism was needed to re-energize French political debate. And lastly, of course, the headscarf affair, the the symbol now the symbol today of uh, France's post-colonial predicament, and so it, that the the headscarf affair introduced. The question of immigration, integration, ethnic minorities into this existing, uh, this existing cluster of uh, or emerging cluster of ideas about about republicanism. So it fused all all three of them together. And after that, into the 1990s and the 2000s, a lot, a lot of very, very interesting debates that uh, that take place in in French politics in Mm. which neo-republicanism becomes a a key, uh, a, a key battleground.
0: I want to just follow up on something you just said, Emile, about the postcolonial, am wondering it plays an important role in both parts of the book—the part focused on neo-republicanism and the part of the book focused on on liberalism. How are you using uh, postcolonialism as a well as a condition and as a set of ideas uh, and ways of reading uh, throughout the book?
1: Well, I think the first thing to say about that is that. I wanted to make post-colonialism part of the story of French politics. One, one of the difficulties that I have with a lot of the literature on post-colonial France is it tends to treat post-colonial questions entirely independently of other things that are happening um, in, in France. And and this seems to be very problematic because it, it separates the post-colonial question, uh, whatever that may be, whether that is... Uh, Uh, discontent in the banlieue, whether that is a headscarf, whether that is the role of Islam in French society. It separates this from other debates that are going on. And so in in the book, what I wanted to do was say, okay, we need to take post-colonialism very seriously. We need to think about how post-colonial questions to do with immigration, integration and religion have Penetrated French politics, but at the same time, we need to situate these within the broader picture of other debates that are perhaps less well known or, or less fashionable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it what what the postcolonial does in the first section of the book is it allows it, it gives, if you like, neo republicanism a much wider reach. I think that if neo republicanism was something that was solely attached to um, to French Marxism and to French historiography, this wouldn't have given it the traction, the power um, that, uh, that we see now, that we now associate with, with, this, with this political language. It needed something else. And, and immigration and all of the questions surrounding immigration provided that something else. Mm. The Front National's uh, politicisation of immigration in the 1980s, that was crucial because the centre-left, defined a republican platform against the front national Um, the headscarf affair was was vital because it 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 offered a very simple or apparently a very simple debate uh, around which a neo-republican consensus could could crystallize Um, similarly with the question of ethnic statistics and whether the french state should collect statistics based on ethnic uh categories which of course it doesn't there again, there was the opportunity for a neo-Republican consensus to emerge. Um, so these post-colonial questions have given neo-Republicanism much, much more purchase mm. in, uh, in, in, in French politics than otherwise would have.
0: You also examine the role of the Anglo-American world in French politics during this period. So how has the Anglo-American served as a kind of counter model for, for French uh, in, in these French political languages that you that you're exploring, and how has Anglo-Saxon uh, figured uh, that term Anglo-Saxon? How has it figured in in these French political languages over the decades that you examine in the book?
1: It, it's funny because that work on on the Anglo-Saxon was actually something slightly separate from from, from the PhD, and and I wanted to find a way to incorporate it because Mm. uh, what I find very interesting about the the, the term Anglo-Saxon is a way that it's been used as a placeholder um, for discussions about the outside world. In other words, the way France and the French uh, should be and what they should not be. So the origins of the term Anglo-Saxon, not in its not not in its use referring to the the historical society of Anglo-Saxon society, but in, in its contemporary usage to refer to the Anglo-American world it dates back to the 1860s, and it it's used repeatedly in the late 19th century um, and again in in the interwar years as uh, a, a way of talk about French decline, about con- concerns about. France no longer having the economic or cultural power that it, that it once had. And the, that, that function has been replicated in the more recent past, in the period that I discuss in the book. And so what I try and show in that chapter is how, again, neo-Republicanism has crystallized around an opposition to what uh, many French people perceive to be the Anglo-Saxon model in other words, uh, free market capitalism, multiculturalism, uh, and and forms of, of diversity politics, and these the, these attributes of the Anglo-Saxon are are things against which uh, neo republicanism has defined itself. And so, what's very interesting here is to think of, is to think of classic theories of nationalism is to think about how. A nation has to define itself against other nations,
0: mm.
1: and that's that's what I'm trying to do in that in that chapter. Introduce uh, an other, if you like, into the story of French republicanism, so that doesn't just become a story about the, the way the French think about themselves, but also the way the French think about uh, neighbouring countries.
0: And what about the idea of Europe, Amy?
1: Really important. Uh, the idea of Europe—I mean, it's important to French politics in, in a general sense. But what uh, is what was certainly relevant to me when writing the book was to uh, think about how neo-republicanism has acted as a as a vehicle for a, a particular kind of French euro scepticism—that is, uh, opposition to to the development of Europe as as a neoliberal uh, super-state.
0: Hmm. So whereas
1: in Britain, one gets Euroscepticism that is hostile to the European project as a whole, um, mm-hmm. a lot of French Euro, Euroscepticism is hostile to the direction in which Europe is going. It's not quite the same thing. And this plays a very important part in in, in, in that chapter where I talk about the outside world precisely because Uh, neo-republicans have often argued for greater sovereignty and greater independence of france within the european project
0: the second part of the book Emile, is focused on liberal critics of contemporary france so how are you using the terms liberalism and liberal in the book and what are have been the specificities of french liberalism and its history
1: the short answer to that is with great difficulty um (laughs) It's, it's very difficult to use the word liberalism in Britain, in the United States, in France, because in each place, liberalism has very different, different meaning, and it is very easy to, to be misunderstood. I don't use liberalism in the book as, in its doctrinal sense. I'm not really trying to define liberalism in the abstract. What I'm trying to do in the second part of the book is build up a coherent picture of all of the different counter-narratives that have emerged since the 1970s uh, in opposition to the neo-republican consensus of the first part of the book. Mm. So in that sense, my definition of liberalism is derivative of neo-republicanism. Nevertheless, it has certain specificities which scholars of French liberalism will recognise. So for instance, uh, right back to the, the early 19th century, French liberalism has always been more interested in social organization and the functioning of the state than British or American liberalism. And and these are concerns that that come back in in the more contemporary period. So whereas in the Anglo-American world, liberalism is often associated with with ideas of a smaller state, um, that's not really the case in France. uh, And that never really was the case uh, in, in, in French liberalism. So that at least allows me to to draw on a coherent historical uh, trajectory and which is unusual to, to French liberalism but as i say in the book what i'm what i'm trying to do is 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 bring together very diverse uh, counter narratives that challenge uh, that have have challenged neo republicanism in france
0: so what were the intellectual and philosophical roots of the liberal revival of the
1: period since the 1970s? There are many and varied. Um, there are friends and colleagues of mine who've done wonderful work on this, who are much more uh, familiar with the, some of the intellectual ins and outs of, of the so-called liberal revival. Um, what I've been interested in, what I focus on in the book, is how they, they play out in the more obviously political sphere. So in, in a way, the second half of the book is an echo of the first half. The dialogue that's happening in real life, in other words, out there, historically speaking, is also happening in, in the book. So in the same way that in the first part of the book, I look at Pierre Nora and Nicolet and and the way they try to read French history in, in, in a very Republican way. In the second half of the book, I'm, I'm very interested in uh, François Furet and Pierre Vallon's reinterpretation of French history, the way they change the emphasis um, of modern French history to uh, To stress uh, the, the the liberal potential of France or to stress the the dangers of uh, of, of revolutionary terror, similarly, uh, the way in the first half I think uh, I, I look at the, the trajectories of Regis Bré and Alain Gocourt in the second half of the book, I look at the the cluster of young intellectuals who um, uh, were heavily influenced by the ideas of the great liberal. Uh, philosopher and sociologist Raymond Aron. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I examine how they took what they thought his liberalism was and um, institution like that through certain publications like the journal Commentaire, through certain institutions um, like the, the, the Centre Raymond Aron and so on. And then finally, politically, just as I looked uh, at the kind of political origins of, uh, of neo republicanism in the reformulation of the center left and its, its struggle to define itself against the Front National, the origins of the, the political liberal revival in France uh, lie in the late 1960s, early 1970s, um, in the, 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 the reformist administration of, of, of Valérie Giscard d'Estaing and indeed Jacques Chabon Delmas before him. Um, and these, this moment provides, uh, provides a model for what French liberalism could potentially be. Um, and that carries through, it carries through the Chirac administration of 86 to 88. And it reemerges again in different ways on the centre left in, under uh, Michel Rocard in the 1990s and, and with Nicolas Sarkozy in in, in, to, in the mid to late 2000s. So, So there are, again, these three different origins for for, for what I call the liberal revival.
0: Just as in the first part of the book, you look at uh, post-colonialism and and the post-colonial, in the second part of the book, you're also looking at post-colonial critiques of uh, neo-Republicanism. So I wanted to ask you about the the decision to locate uh, the post-colonial in this section on liberalism and what's behind that sort of thinking and what some of the... The critiques are of neo-republicanism that come uh, from from the post-colonial. Uh, it's a really
1: good question. Um, I suppose it's one of the more controversial aspects of the book. At, l- at least, if I'm if I'm to believe uh, the, the various critics who have uh, talked to me about the book since it's been published, um, the idea of bringing post-colonial critiques of neo-republicanism under the ban of liberalism when many of the actors I'm talking about would reject and sometimes reject very firmly Mm -hmm. uh, the the term liberalism is obviously a controversial one. But what I'm trying to do is show that actually the origins in many ways of uh, the post-colonial critique of neo-republicanism actually lie in a form of, of, of French liberalism. And you can see that. In the ni- early 1980s, with the, the droit à la différence movement, the right to difference movement, a, a group of, uh, of, of left-wing activists and, and socialist politicians and so on who are very committed to bringing uh, difference into the French political sphere, undermining the Jacobin model, what they saw as the, the Jacobin model of state centralisation, uh, and introduce policies that would explicitly celebrate and encourage ethnic diversity, linguistic diversity, uh, and and, and so on. And likewise, I think in in the 2000s, um, so now I'm jumping forward 20 years, in in my view, a lot of what we recognize now as French identity politics, uh, whether that comes in the form of a group like the Indigene de la République or um, the formation of the Conseil Représentatif des Associations Noires, the, the, the CRAN in 2005, Again, has its origins in a in a form of uh, liberal multicultural ethic. In other words, the idea that uh, that it's not only uh, the reality of French society to, to to be multicultural, but also that it's a good thing that we we celebrate multiculturalism. So, of course, members of the Intendant um were primarily drawn from from Trotskyist movements, from uh, pro Palestine movements. So very, very anti liberal in their right. discourse, but their function in, um, in within French politics, which is really kind of what I'm interested in, fits with this much much broader critique um, of republicanism, neo republicanism as just a repackaged form of Jacobinism, as just a repackaged form of French nationalism. Something you hear quite a lot and so i i I felt it the the way they were talking about the french nation many of these post-colonial critics was so similar to the way other uh liberal critics were were discussing the the french nation that i i decided to to put them put them together with people who, who who with whom they would otherwise be very uncomfortable with
0: you go on I mean, to examine the language of crisis that has played a key role in, in French politics in the period that you're looking at. So how has the language of crisis figured in efforts to reform the French state?
1: Well, I'm glad we get a chance to talk about that chapter, because I think... It's my favorite chapter I don't know if I'm allowed to have favorites but but it's a sure. chapter I, I really liked in part because nobody's really done any work on this uh, at all which is really surprising because anyone and I really mean anyone who has any interaction with french people on a regular basis will know that um that the french continuously and permanently think uh, their country is is uh in in crisis, whether that's economic crisis, social crisis, um, uh, ethnic crisis, religious crisis, it, it's, it's, it's an omnipresent part of French political discussion. And interestingly, it's often accompanied by very vivid uh, bodily metaphors, metaphors about illness, the sickness of the body politic, the, f- the, f- the schizophrenia of the French people, the depression of the French people. And uh, and and I actually often joked with with my colleagues that I- in North America they have kind of self help books uh, that are for individuals, how to make individuals great again, better leaders, more uh, more potent uh, in the workplace, more powerful, um, more positive. In France, a lot of the books are collective self-help. In other words, how to make France great again, how to make uh, the French people strong, how France can lift itself out of depression. Um, and, I, and I just found this so interesting that I wanted to look at it in more depth. And once I started to look at it, I realized that the language of crisis has not it's not just an epiphenomenon it's not just something which the french talk about and they they don't really think about what they talk about it actually plays a really important role in how politics is 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 done in france and in that chapter i trace the contemporary iteration of the language of crisis because i think earlier periods of history have had similar things but the contemporary iteration of that to um the work of uh, Michel crozier the sociologist Michel Michel Mm -hmm. crozier much underrated and much understudied figure in uh, French French intellectual life, and I look at how he essentially brings together a variety of ideas from historians like like Stanley Hoffman and and puts them together in this in this this concept of the blocked society, la société bloquée, famous essay published in the seventies, and that idea of France as a blocked society coincided with the end of the 30 glorious years, the 30 glorious and economic crisis. And gradually over the course of the 1980s, this idea of crisis begins to take hold. And you see it in, in radio debates on, on TV. You see it in editorials, this continuous discussion of crisis. And the my argument is that actually this discourse of crisis has allowed it, when well, it's acted as a kind of cover or a vehicle, perhaps, for, for the advancement of French liberalism. French liberals have found it very difficult to argue for reform. Uh, and this, again, you can trace back to the late 19th century, but very, very difficult to argue for reform on liberal grounds. But once they're able to phrase the necessity of reform within an idea of crisis, then they can sell that to... Uh, to policymakers, to politicians, and ultimately to, to, to the French electorate as a whole.
0: How has liberalism's counter-narrative influenced party politics in France uh, in the period that you're looking at?
1: Well, this is a a, a difficult historiographical question because
0: uh,
1: most scholars of France, certainly French politics, have argued that French liberalism politically is very weak. Um, that it doesn't really have much in the way of identity. There's no liberal party. There are very few people willing to call themselves liberals. Um, Tony Judge famously argued this in Past Imperfect. Jack Haywood has made a similar argument. Um, There's there's a widespread belief, especially in the Anglo-American world, that that France is a fundamentally illiberal polity. Uh, It's not necessarily always a bad thing, but that liberalism can't really take hold. And actually what I try and show is that that's not entirely true. Hmm. Uh, liberalism is clearly a, an ideology that's difficult to acknowledge publicly, uh, as any French liberal will, will tell you. First of all, Raymond Aron was continuously lamenting the fact that he was marginalized for being a liberal. But um, actually, it's, liberal ideas have found a home both on the center-right and, and the center-left. So earlier I was mentioning uh, the, the the Giscard, Presidency, um, and then looking at some of the ways in which people like um, Alain Madelin or uh, or um, Jean-Pierre Raffarin, uh, the prime minister un- under Chirac, took forward some of these liberal ideas about decentralisation, tried to fashion a kind of French neoliberalism. In other words, making the French comfortable with the market with the market economy, um, and that so that was on the right, and then on the left. Uh, the the major liberal strand within the centre left is what uh, most political historians of France would call the second left. Um, that is the left that coalesced around Michel Rocard in the late nineteen seventies, and today is embodied in in figures like uh, like Manuel Valls and Emmanuel Macron. And that strand, I argue, has actually been quite powerful uh, within within French socialism, but it's always struggled. Uh, against a very different uh, very much more uh, orthodox uh, jacobin socialist tradition so although neither liberal strand within french politics has really ever been dominant for a long period of time uh, i do think they've been extremely influential and that's what i'm trying to to show in in that final chapter
0: You end the book with, uh, in your concluding remarks, with the search for consensus in 21st century France. So I guess I'm wondering what, in the last 16 years, have been the significant turning points, and how do you see the book as a contribution to our understanding of very recent uh, events and debates uh, in the French political field?
1: Search for consensus, yes, it's it's, uh, it's, it's difficult. Um, today, more than when I finished writing the book, uh, it feels like we're a very long way from consensus. And mm. I think readers uh, picking up the book today might be surprised by this idea that there's actually a consensus in, in French politics, or indeed in any politics anywhere. Um, the reason I said that and the reason I made... Uh, reason I wanted to push that conclusion is, is partly because looking at French history uh, in the long durée, so looking back to the, to the early 20th of the 19th century, a- actually France is remarkably stable now um, and French politics is fairly predictable uh, and the French parliamentary system is well entrenched and there's absolutely no risk of uh, of of dictatorship or of um, of of political collapse, at least in in the immediate or even in the medium term. So it seems to me to be quite important to to think of this as a different phase in French political history, in which we are uh, we we can't trace political or the boundaries of political debate as clearly as we could in the past. Um, we have to look. More deeply, we have to analyze some of the, the debates I've, I've talked about and actually see what the dividing lines are between different actors. And that, for me, is the is lesson uh, of the book, even as we analyze contemporary politics. One of the things that I absolutely wanted to, uh, to, to reject in the book uh, is this idea that there aren't really any debates left in politics today. Again, this might seem a little bit odd in 2016, but when I began my research, one of the things that, uh, that was very, very, a very common refrain amongst commentators, amongst journalists, amongst academics, in France and elsewhere, was that political debate today is really not what it was. It, it, the, the, the big questions are not there. The, the big issues are not there. Everyone essentially agrees on everything. Now, again, hard to sustain in the light of, of, of a Donald Trump or of, of Brexit, but but that idea seemed to me to be fundamentally wrong. And in the book, what I try and do is I take this period which supposedly uh, had no big debates that were supposedly uh, anti-ideological or, uh, or, 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 you know, in the terms that were used in the 1990s, the end of history, and show that... In reality, uh, people continue to argue very vigorously about absolutely vital political matters. And the challenge for us as as scholars of contemporary politics is to think about what those questions actually are. And and so one of the big ones in the book is is citizenship, right? Mm -hmm. So who is a citizen? Who can be a citizen? On what terms? What is the meaning of citizenship? Another one uh, that comes out, regularly in the book, is the idea of the state. How big should the state be? What should it do? How can the state change? Should we maintain the state as it is? And France is a wonderful case study because the French argue about these things and have argued about these things very explicitly. So we can begin to trace new dividing lines, new fault lines in, in contemporary politics that way.
0: I'm just wondering, Emil, how one might use the book um, to... Shed some light on something like the upcoming presidential election and the broadening of the base of support for uh, the Front National, for example. Like, if you think about um, your interest in consensus and the middle, where where is the middle now, and is it changing?
1: I don't know. Um, historians make very bad predictors of the future, <laughs> and, and, and I always tell that. Uh, to, to journalists or anyone else trying to, to make me predict the future. Um, I think the book can help understand where we are now. Whether the book can help understand right now is is, is a different question, but mm. I, I hope that, that the book, which really is conceived as much uh, in terms of a long essay as, as a monograph, I, I hope that the, that the book gives readers some of the tools to think about how political debate has been happening in France. In terms of the upcoming presidential election, in terms of the Front National, I mean, one of the things that's been really striking to me and and quite unsettling is the degree to which neo-Republicanism, in exactly the sense in which I analyse it in the book, has gone from being the preserve of the broad centre to being the absolute basic language of French politics all the way from the far right to the far left. Mm. And I hadn't entirely anticipated that. So so while on the one hand I'm very pleased that my conclusions are being vindicated um, and that actually neo-republicanism is extremely important, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little bit... Confused about how to interpret its adoption by Marine Le pen or by Trotskyist movements who are suddenly talking about republicanism in ways that they wouldn 't even have dreamt of doing ten years ago, and that seems to me to be to be a problem that that's in, incomplete i don 't really know the extent to which the French electorate takes seriously, for instance. Um, Marine Le Pen's republicanism if you look at the, the recent uh, regional elections you'll see that uh, the idea of a republican front came back into fashion a republican front precisely to uh, to protect against the Front National which shows that perhaps republicanism hasn't lost all of the meaning uh, <laughs> that, uh, that 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 it still has um, so I think that's something which is, is very very difficult to 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 understand at the same time, the reason the book is in two parts, the reason the book is not just a study of neo-republicanism is what I thought it would be when I started my research in 2006, 2007, Mm -hmm. is because I I am convinced that while neo-republicanism is a a powerful ideology um, in a powerful language, to use my words, in French politics, it's not the only one. Mm-hmm. And that not all French people think like that, uh, and and I sometimes get frustrated outside France when um, when commentators or journalists and sometimes even serious academics uh, caricature of France as a land where everybody seems to be uh, in under the spell of this mysterious uh, Republican model. I, I don't think that's the case. I think that they they m- most French people understand what the Republican model is. Mm-hmm. But they draw on other things and they have other concerns and other interests politically. And and that's what I'm trying to bring out in the the second half of the book.
0: So what are you working on now, I
1: A couple of things. In relation to France, I'm working on, well, I've been working on for a while uh, a study of local politics, um, particularly uh, centered on Montpellier. And I'm I'm very interested in identity politics and multiculturalism in in Montpellier. Um, what that means, uh, the, the 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 legacy of of, of the pied noir migration to to the south of France, mm. um, things which seem to me to be interesting because they reflect some of the national themes I looked at in the book. And it's been it's been great actually to work at a local level and just to get away from from the, the insularity of, of, of the left bank in Paris and actually look sort of what, what real political actors down in the field are doing. And, um, and it's been really striking to see how particular political actors have used uh, neo-republicanism or invoked particular ideas of liberalism and how they've played with uh, ideas that I talk about in the book, like multiculturalism or secularism, Um, and and see how that has actually worked at a local level the other thing i'm doing in relation to france is uh developing a little bit more of an understanding about french anti-liberalism and anti-capitalism and i this came really from a critique that was um that was directed at me many years ago long before the book came out uh where somebody said you know talk about liberalism is all very well, but, but don't you think France is not just illiberal, but anti-liberal? And I thought, well, that's interesting. I should think about that. And so recently I've been looking at the way French anti-capitalist thinkers, and I'm, I, I understand anti-capitalism here as a form of French anti-liberalism, uh, the way these thinkers have tried to contend with the rise of neoliberalism.
0: Emile, I just want to thank you so much for joining me and for writing the book.
1: It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.